Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams. Hello, and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, a weekly podcast in which we talk about the secrets behind living the life you've always dreamed of. I'm Ellen Barton, and today my guest is Dylan DiGiovanni. Dylan is an internationally certified integrative nutrition coach, speaker, and writer who's leading a revolutionary conversation about identity and well-being. Dylan's mission is to evolve the current cultural conversation around identity and difference with well-being as the impetus toward individual change and acceptance of others. Dylan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. It is a pleasure to have you here. And I have so many questions. Um, This seems like a very timely topic, so I'm really excited to dig in. But I want to start out just asking you what an integrative nutrition coach is. I do think it's a term a lot of people um, perhaps don't know. So can you explain that? Sure. Yeah, that's... um... It's a, it's a coach who helps a person. So we all have goals about changing things in our lives. And we often have to go to all kinds of different people to help with all those different goals. But an integrative nutrition coach starts with good nutrition. So food as the foundation for well-being. But since so many other things impact that, uh, how we feed ourselves, such as exercise and relationships and career and spirituality, um, an integrative nutrition coach helps a person set goals with all of those different areas because everything impacts everything else. Um, and so that's, that's what we do. Oh, interesting. And that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Do you, as far as nutrition goes, do you advocate any particular diet or is it just individual? It's totally individual. Um, I, I've, done so many different things over my lifetime. I, I went through my vegetarian phase. I went through my vegan phase. Um, and, and I've just finally found like this fantastic balance where I literally eat everything, but I do eat very clean foods. Uh, so grass fed meats rarely, uh, mostly I eat plant based, but I do eat full fats, um, butter, ghee, <laughs> coconut oil, olive oil, um, I I really eat everything. It's pretty great. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then you talk about um, what you describe with like a spiritual practice and everything else. sounds to me like very intentional. This integration is very intentional. Yeah. So do you have like a, a practice that you do every morning or do you have certain things that you just regularly do yourself mm. and maybe help your clients do? Mm-hmm. Um. For myself, I do go to bed very early. So I have a very early bedtime. I would say it's like 930. Uh (laughs) Um, Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. And if I push it, I really feel it. And um, I do, I have worked over the years to be very minimalist. So I have very little things around and I have next to no clutter at all, which helps a lot with my sleep, for example. And then every morning I do play one of two things. I either play Buddhist monks chanting um, or I play a playlist by Max Richter, the best of Max Richter on Amazon Prime. (laughs) It's Ah. actually fantastic. Yeah, his music. um, One of the tracks you might know from the movie Arrival. Uh Uh-huh. 
if you've seen the movie Arrival. I have, um, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, on the nature of daylight, it's incredible. And so there's a best. So I listen to that. It's very meditative and very um, soothing. And then I have breakfast every morning. I never skip breakfast ever. Um, and I don't have a formal sitting meditation practice, which I probably would benefit from. I keep saying that. Um, and then with my clients, I, I mostly help them figure out what would work for their life. So different people have different schedules. So it's more about them setting up goals and, and rituals related to what makes sense for them. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. And what you're describing sounds so peaceful and calming. And so I'm not imagining that you're grabbing your phone first thing and looking at the news. No, absolutely not. No. Um, if anything, I look at Instagram first just to see how my posts have reached people and if anyone's commented to be able to respond to them. But I definitely don't read the news. No, I don't pay attention anymore. <laughs> I, and I mean, I do peripherally just to kind of have an idea of what's going on. But no. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, I'm with you on that. I, I feel like we need to protect our own peace of mind and there's a lot of that is just out of our control you know these mm-hmm. days it's like crazy stuff mm-hmm. but um do you do you see people with uh maybe increased i don't know anxiety or or um problems these days because of all the the you know because they're paying too much attention to the news What I think I'm experiencing with the people who have followed me, both on my personal page and on my Instagram, it's people who really see through what's going on and they're really more trying to think, trying to learn like how can I, what can I do about it? Like who can I be or how can I make a a better change? Um, So which is I find very inspiring. Like they're not really weighed down or cynical or resigned about it. They're more just like, well, what could I do? What can I do to feel better with what's going on? What could I do to make a difference? Which I think, you know, that's the content I try to put out, which is to keep inspiring people and give them ideas. Um, Because, you know, this, all this stuff that's going on today, when you zoom out, it's really been going on in different iterations for thousands of years. You know, it's just uh, a horse of a different color now, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it's been going on for so long. And I think when people zoom out and remember that it's easier to not get caught up in the details of what's currently happening. Um, yeah, that's true. And it's easy to focus because the, the, I guess the negative stuff is so loud if you let it be, if you pay attention to it, but at the same time there, it almost seems like there is a, uh, very much an increased spiritual awareness and mm-hmm. and a movement among I, I want to say young people but I don't think it's just young people I think it really goes across the gamut where there's almost like an awakening like do you, do you find that oh 100% and so I went back to get my master's in my mid-30s and I studied behavioral change and I think that's what helps give me peace. It's like what helps me not read the news in the morning and just get up and like take care of myself, listen to listen to music and feed myself And because um, I know that change doesn't happen, change happens with uh, in, like in increments and relapses and in increments and relapses, right? So we made progress depending on what side of the line you sit on politically. And then there's going to be a regression because human beings can only change so much before they kind of regress back. 
and then they build up energy and then they make more progress. So I, I do see that that's what's happening culturally, you know, is we were making progress politically or, or I guess for different human rights and stuff. And then there has to be a snapback because people were being tested and stretched with how much they could accept and tolerate. And I think this is the beginning of more positive change. Like this is a stage and definitely, and it was necessary for people to wake up. I think a lot of people, I'll just speak, you know, frankly, like a lot of liberal or so-called progressive people, they were actually very complacent. They actually thought things were better than they were. And I think this is making people more aware of that. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And the whole pendulum (laughs) thing is... um is fact if you look at history. So it's, it does make it easier to bear sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just think it's about people noticing that and knowing and realizing that and taking comfort. Yeah. That nothing, nothing lasts forever. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about your work. Um, this conversation that you're um, a leader in around identity and difference is really important and it is so in the present political climate, but you know, really any time. So one of the things you stress is that difference is something to be celebrated. And I'd really like to hear more about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, it's what's obvious. One of, the, one of the points that I try to make in either the panels that I sit on or my presentations is that there's seven and a, almost seven and a half billion people on this planet. And even identical twins don't have the same fingerprints. So we're all different. But because as human beings, we sort and we categorize and we lump people together into groups, we forget that every single human being is different. And I think we set up all this language around privilege and power and who has advantage and who has. And when you really come down to it, everybody has relative privilege and disadvantage, every single human being, some more than others. And that's the way things have shaken out. I think to all teach us how to work together. And, you know, I think a lot of the strife happens when certain people's differences are, are held up or ignored. I'm speaking in no such general terms. And then, and then other people react because they think that they're being left out of the conversation. So in my work, I try to really help everyone get in touch with what makes them different so that they stop seeing others as different and themselves as normal. And then everyone getting an appreciation of how everyone, everyone's actually different and how differences can be celebrated. One, but once they're acknowledged, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I never really understand people who, you know, are so gung, so, so hard set on imposing their beliefs and thoughts on others because it's different from what they themselves think. Like, it, I, I don't get it. And I, I didn't really want this to be a politically charged interview. But I just... <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the personal, I forget who said the personal is political. Ooh, I sh- I'm pulling that quote out and I'm not saying who, who, who it was, but so we'll have to find that in the, in the, in the note, the show notes. But um, where I, and you know, I think what, what was I w- for so long, I was such an activist. I was such a political activist and I was so angry and I was so, you know, I, I came and my, my evolution, mostly as a health coach and as a Buddhist helped me see that those people that you're describing, they're on both sides of the line. Mm-hmm. They're on both yeah. sides. You know what I mean? It's like each side thinks the other side is wrong and they are capable of the same kind of venom. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, like, I really believe that people just want to be heard. You know, they, mm-hmm. no matter what side you're on, or, you know, maybe there don't have to be sides, but I think people just want to be heard and understood. And then there's those that push it to, you know, everybody has to be just like me, but those, that's weird. Like, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I know when you think about the numbers, like how impractical it is or, or, or more. How everyone, boring it would be if everyone was just totally. like, you. like, what the heck? And it's impossible. I mean, it's like that, that phrase, like it's like herding cats, yeah. you know, you, you, you couldn't get everyone. I think about that a lot. I'm so glad that you said that. Cause I think sometimes we, these people get so self-righteous in their political opinions and perspectives that they don't think, seem to think maybe not everyone would want to live like you. Maybe not everyone would want to think the way that you, because, but they get so steeped in like, this is the right way. They don't, they don't consider that it's not for everybody. Right. Yeah. I really like your approach to celebrating difference. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And have you done um, any work or, or um, consideration about some kind of uh, definition of success or happiness? Cause I feel like those words, like those things are very individual as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it, I, it, that's such an individual thing. And that's what I do in my work is I help people get clear about what would that mean for you? And it's so hard for people to overcome the socialization of the metrics that we're told equal success. So for a lot of people, it's material wealth and it's homes and money and cars and bags. You know, it's like things And what I've found with my clients is those people often with the most things are the most impoverished spiritually. Mm, They, mm -hmm. they keep, they keep amassing, amassing wealth thinking that it will fill the hole. But like you said, the greatest human need is actually to be acknowledged. And, and so the lack of that and then from others, but then honestly, the foundation is the lack of it from self. Like a person, like we need to be able to acknowledge ourselves and that takes a lot of work, (laughs) but that is uh, what I'm told from the masters. And then from my own experience, like that is what provides that feeling of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's very interesting. And we, so speaking for myself, I wear many um, hats in, in business and in the things I'm interested in, like this podcast is like a passion project for me. But in my um, core business, we do video production. And, and for some time, one of our clients was um, this funeral home. They were doing videos for marketing purposes and educational purposes. And um, I do remember them saying one time that the, like, the best funerals are the, really the people that don't have any money because <laughs> they're the ones with all the friends and there's and, and a different kind of wealth. You know, I always found that really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of like um, kind of like what you're saying. So, so in all of your work, do you have any thoughts around? You know, it seems to me like a lot of what you're describing probably stems from from like childhood, from the way people were raised and expectations that were put on them. Do you have mm-hmm. any thoughts for? Um, people with kids, you know, on how we can help them at an early age, um, maybe not have to go through some of the hard work that you do with adults. Hmm. 
That's a good question because, so I have two initial thoughts. One, it's hard to support kids because the parents themselves often don't have a sense of self, meaning like mm-hmm. the parents, the, you know, people, people age chronologically and they have kids, you know, but often they haven't really done the work on themselves to feel like confident enough to be able to pass that on to a child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So first, you know, my, my recommendation is that all people who are parents, you know, get support for yourselves so that you feel secure and confident and clear about who you are. So then you'll be able to support your child. <clears throat> and then to be honest, like much of what we go through in childhood and adolescence is necessary for the shaping of our personality, like developmentally, even being bullied or being stressed is, is, could be an impetus to resilience depending on how many resources the person has. I can speak from my own experience. Like I have faced a lot of adversity and either possess like this inner grit that helped me overcome it. You know, people, people will either kind of go one of two ways when they're faced with that much adversity. So I wouldn't want to take that out because also what I've found with my clients is often the more privileged existence a person has, the harder life is for them because they don't have that adversity to overcome. We all need that to be able to demonstrate our confidence and our competence. Does that, does that make sense? That makes so much sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we, yeah. Need, we need a healthy amount of that, but we also need the right resources because if we're only faced with adversity and we don't have support, then we just crumble. Uh, so, but, and so that's what I found is that often privilege becomes a, a severe liability and severe handicap because people have, they're given so much that they don't ever learn how to do for themselves. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I know my dad was a teacher in um, inner city schools and he always said the kids, so the kids that had a supportive family or even a role model of some, any mentor, anybody yeah. Um, those were the kids that were going to one way or another be okay, you know, most yep. of the time. Yep. So, um, and I guess that's one way that we can try to give back to the world is to try to be that person for somebody. Re- and realize that kids of all identities need that. So under, underserved kids, but also overprivileged kids, they, they might be given a lot of things, but they might not be given what like what you said earlier, what they actually need, which is the acknowledgement and the attention and the support. And so they'll have like that spiritual poverty, even if they have that spiritual and emotional poverty, even if they have plenty of things and opportunity. So it's, it's, it affects, it's about meeting the individual and figuring out, you know, what do you have and like actually what do you need? Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And I liked how you were describing, you know, adversity, shaping your personality, shaping your grit, um, you know, giving you that resilience to move forward and and confidence to do what you really want to do in life. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, so you are a transgender person. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about your journey Mm -hmm. into self-discovery or um, self-realization in Mm -hmm. that sense. Can you kind of walk us through what that was like? Mm-hmm. Well, as a kid, there were no role models for that. So there was no language for the identity. So I, or, and if there were any in the news, you know, I didn't see anybody. So I always just kind of identified as a tomboy mm-hmm. and then, um, and then off, but often felt 
and it was funny because it wasn't until later on in my adulthood where I was talking about this that I started to put the puzzle pieces together. But there was always a strange feeling that I had because I went to Catholic school and I would always have a, a, an interesting relationship with the boys because they had to wear like pants and ties. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to wear them. But like I said, I didn't understand why I would want that feeling. So I always associated that feeling with like, you're wrong or there's something wrong about you because, you know, it wouldn't make sense. I'm supposed to wear a skirt. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, so there was a lot of, I guess, shame and repression associated because just like I said, there's no, there was no, and that's what I really love about how our culture has evolved is now, even though things are still hard, trans kids are given, like their feelings are more validated. Like it's completely okay that you want to dress this different way. Whereas back when I was a kid, it was, there wasn't any of that. Mm-hmm. And Um, then in my early twenties, you know, again, it was still kind of the same, like tomboy. I, my sexual orientation was, I was attracted to women. So people were labeling me a lesbian. My, I guess my, you know, story is similar to like Chaz Bono. And I just name him because he's like one visible transgender man. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. We don't have many visible ones at all, which is why I'm out and try to be visible. But, um, And then I guess in my early thirties is when it really started to pick up some speed. And I went to, I went to my therapist and I told him and he said, well, this isn't my specialization. So I'm going to refer you out to somebody else. And I really spent a good six months speaking just about, am I trans or am I just, you know, like what, what is my actual identity? And to be honest, we just came to the conclusion that it was really what I wanted, whatever I wanted to make of it. So I can't say that I've had, you know, we often have this narrative of, um, I knew from an early age that I was in the wrong body. I didn't have that experience. Mine was more like I was fine. And then suddenly I just had this question of like, what if, what if I want to do something else? And I finally just decided that I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have this kind of adventure and people are kind of blown away when I tell them that they're like, what, why would you do that? And for me, it was like, why wouldn't I? And, and it's been, I have to tell you, the most surreal experience because most people think about the physical changes. It's funny because I was just saying this last night to somebody. Most people think about the physical changes, but <clears throat> really what the experience has been for me is the social, the social change of how people used to relate to me before mm. and, and how people relate to me now. Obviously, because i have completely changed my outward appearance, but the, the, like, Oh, I could write, I'm, I'm working on my book, but like, just, it's just incredible. Like, and the assumptions that I made about who would, who, how people would react and how, how that doesn't work and, and how people respond to me, um, when they know versus when they don't know, it's quite an incredible social experiment. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, Extremely interesting, given especially given your line of work that you've chosen. And mm-hmm. I liked what you just said about it being a great adventure. And I feel like, you know, I, I, I feel the same as you in that life is this adventure and that we are here to push ourselves and take chances and try different things and, and mm-hmm. get in tune with this authenticity, authentic part of ourselves. But what I see and what I hear partly because of this podcast and just in my interactions with people is that such a lot of people 
our kind of stuck, you know, our kind of like, well, I'd really like to do that, but I really can't. Or, um, they, I mean, they have a million excuses. And, and I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about that or if you run into that in, with your clients or, or with your work and what advice you have for people that sure. are feeling kind of stuck. Yeah, in many ways, this is kind of going back to what we were saying before. In many ways, my childhood or my, my particular set of circumstances engendered, pun intended, my, my ability to transition because my family of origin wasn't incredibly supportive or tightly knit. I didn't feel bound to fulfilling any kind of expectations. I, I felt because I was kind of like set out there and just kind of like neglected, <laughs> I, I just had this kind of like, I can do whatever I want with my life. Mm-hmm. And whereas other people who might have the benefit of more, a more closely knit family, it would become like a liability because then they would feel things of like pressure to disappoint or fulfill expectations. So you see what I mean? It's kind of Mm -hmm. like this funny irony that I didn't have what I needed, but then it actually helped me. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I, I think a lot of people come up against that. They come up against fear of rejection, fear of, and I, and I faced all of that. I, I, my, my family stopped speaking to me, the person I was partnered to, you know, bailed. And, and so I faced kind of my whole business changed because I was like, I'm a health coach and people suddenly thought I was going to be a transgender poster child. So I've faced all the, all the possible things that a person could fear. And I guess what I would want to say to people is do it anyway, because then you'll at least know, and you're not living a suboptimal life based on making other people feel comfortable or keeping things status quo. Even if things fall away, even if th- things fall apart, it's it's what was meant to be for you to have the life that you were actually supposed to have. But I think people are so afraid to lose that because it's familiar and it's comfortable. And quite frankly, it's easier. My past, the past six years has been a lot harder than my life before, but much more gratifying. Yeah, that's interesting. And I I feel it brought to my mind this quote that Oprah has, where she says, you know, if you don't listen to these um, whispers that life life gives you, you get like banged on your head, you know, harder and harder until it's like hitting your head against a brick wall, because there's like some some schools of thought there's there's sort of like a purpose, a path, a, a way that you're pulled, you know, a direction that you're pulled in. And if you resist that, um, you know, you, you can bring upon yourself, um, bigger and bigger obstacles. And it made me think in, in my business, my business was going in a direction that was, um, I don't know, maybe less purpose driven, more money driven. And I was just running up against obstacle, 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 until I eventually had to face like my biggest fears, which were just like this giant financial mess. And uh, kind of worked through that and came out the other side. And I feel like, okay, well, now I face that. I can pretty much do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I think there's something to be said for embracing the journey, you know, and, and just kind of y- being brave about it. Or I don't really know how to word this, but does, does that make any sense to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and being being truly fearless. I think people... People think they know who they are because they're, we're all holding each other, we're holding ourselves up against reflections of each other in society. But there's this feeling inside of like, that's not who I am or that's not who I'm supposed to be. 
and and then when you do that, I think all the need to consume, right, or chase what I like, like I said earlier, like these metrics that we're told are the things we're supposed to chase or have or be. And then when we keep doing that, it just, just still doesn't feel right to, yeah, like you said, tune into that inner voice that says, but this is what I actually want and this is what I actually need. And once our basic needs are met, anything else is bonus, you know? So I think that's a lot of the work that I do with clients sometimes is that they'll chase all those metrics and they're like, you know, or you hear the people giving up these jobs where they had all this money and just like finding this little tiny house in the woods <laughs> and just, you know, because we kind of are called back to our nature as human beings, which is peace and, you know, eating good food and, and, and just wanting, wanting simple pleasures. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a lot to be said for that. And it's within our grasp, you know, most of us, we could make that choice. Mm-hmm. Many of us don't, but I, um, one of the people I work with in my video business is a videographer who lives that kind of life. Very simple, mm-hmm. very um, minimal possessions, good food, you know, kind of just exactly what you described, except for the woods <laughs> part, because he doesn't live in the woods. But often I, 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 in the past, you know, had found myself thinking, gosh, he's so lucky. I wish I could do that. And then eventually this wake up call came, which was like, of course you can do that. Like, just mm-hmm. stop it. Like, just do just stop you know wishing you could do something or be something just just do it it's life is ours to shape you know 100 percent. i i live such a simple existence and sometimes i get so caught up in like oh i should be doing this or i should have this kind of job or i should have this much money in the bank and and then i come back and i'm like no you have you have what you need to pay your bills every month you have a little bit extra you have a little space of your own like you like you said it's like constantly competing with like what, what we think we're supposed to have to compete with the Joneses versus like Mm -hmm. what we actually want. And do we have what we need? And, and that's so much to be grateful for when we actually realize that we have what we need. Yeah. And what brings us happiness and fulfillment? I think that is the big question. And, you know, getting back to that success, that definition of happiness and success. Totally. Yeah. And is this, so did all of this lead you on this Buddhist path or have you been a Buddhist for a long time? I started, I started with that about 20 years ago. And then when I became a health coach in 2009, started to dive more deeply. I started to really stop kind of flitting around and uh, spiritual practice and really dove deep into it because my life became much more intentional and much more serious. And then when I started my transition in 2012, then I really needed it. I really needed the spirituality to draw from, to ground me and stabilize me because it was a very disorienting, um, traumatic, traumatic experience. And mm-hmm. the, the spirituality really helped provide the anchor. And, and I'm so, so grateful for it. And it also helped me make, make sense from the philosophical standpoint of like what I was encountering and what I was experiencing. So it was this kind of chicken and egg kind of thing. Um, Cause it helped me, it helped open me up to possibility. And then when my brain started to expand and I started to have all these realizations based on what I was experiencing in the real world, it was like, I could go back to the philosophy and say, Oh, this is why this is happening. And this is what this means. And even still, when I have interactions, I can just say, well, just breathe through that and meditate and, and find, find the center again. 
And I, I wish I could give that to everybody. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me how easy and how simple it is to ground ourselves and find peace, but also how hard it is, how, how hard it, you know what I mean? Like how mm-hmm. it's really so simple to just like let things go and not take things personally. And, but, but it's actually very hard to do that because <laughs> we have egos and we have, you know, attachments to how people should be behaving and what we think they should say. And that it's kind of the interaction between the two of those. It's like a dance. It's, it's like a give and it take. Is. And, totally. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, unfortunately, we need to wrap up in the next couple of minutes, but I did want to ask you um, just a little bit more about your work, and I'm wondering who, what, what is kind of like your ideal client that you like to work with, and what types of change or transformation or um, difference does your work make with, you know, many of your clients or some of your clients? I wonder if you can give an example or examples. Sure. So I, I really like working in companies or businesses because like I, I was just saying, a lot of people's, a lot of the things that go wrong at work is just two human beings or more human beings just not having the tools for understanding themselves and other people. And a lot of the things that go wrong is just expectations, you know, conflicting expectations, where is if they understood each other better and understood that they even had those expectations. So just giving people more tools to understand how to better manage their own reactions to things, to be able to interact with people. And then the well-being is the foundation of that. Cause it's really, that's a really lofty goal <clears throat> to, to just say, Oh, I'm just going to have less expectations. But when you haven't eaten breakfast and you haven't been drinking water and you haven't really been exercising or sleeping well, it's really hard to physically feel like you could have that mental stability. So the two work together. And some folks that I really love working with is, you know, really progressive companies that really get this, that really get that what their employees want is healthier interpersonal interactions, not, not beanbag chairs or, you know, plants or, you know, drinks or whatever, but uh, they actually want better social interactions at work because they're there for so much part of the day, for for so many hours of the day. And um, individual clients, it's the same kind of thing. People who who really want to know themselves better to feel more fulfilled and also make a better impact with every human being they meet. Yeah, that makes sense. And and really, after talking with you, I I, I think I truly do understand this integrative health aspect to your work and why it, why it works and why it makes makes so much sense. Great. I'm glad. So, no, that's fantastic. All right. Well, it's been great talking with you, Dylan. Is there any last, you know, thoughts or words of wisdom or anything you'd like to leave us with um, before we sign off? Yes. If this, everything that I've been talking about has, is the result of probably 20, over 20 years of practice of new habits of living, like everywhere from what I eat to sleeping to spirituality. And so I would encourage every person to start now, to start today, because it takes, it takes a long time to change habits and they're not going to turn around overnight. But if you start today, any progress you make will make you a better person. It'll make you feel better. So to just, just take action. Mm. That's my, my advice. Great advice. Thank you so much. Um, sure. And, and Dylan, how, what's the best way for people to reach you? Um, uh, my website, my name is, uh, dylandigiovanni.com. Um, and it's that simple. And also Instagram. I really love Instagram. It's like my favorite social media and my, 
my name is on, on there too. It's the same thing, just Dylan Giovanni. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It was really lovely talking with you and having you here today. Thank you very um, much. Thanks to everybody for listening. My guest was integrative nutritionist, speaker, and writer, Dylan DiGiovanni. And you can find links to Dylan's social media pages and website on our website, readysetgrit.com. Thanks again for joining us and check in again next Friday when we release another episode with tips on turning your daydreams into a phenomenal success. Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit, your life on purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at readysetgrit.com where you'll find daily inspiration, links to our social media, and where you can access our eBooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit, inspired actions, real results.